Hey, live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter. Is my, my oh, <laughs> and uh, I'm Sean McCraney, your host. And tonight we're gonna do part three with Christy Johnson. And it is a fascinating story. I would challenge you to go back to the archives at hotm.tv and watch part one and two if you haven't seen it. Part three is, uh, is a phenomenal follow-up to the whole ordeal that Christy has shared with us in the exclusive here on uh, Heart of the Matter. But uh, first, a couple things. One, this coming Sunday, 12 noon here at the uh, Campus Studio Church, we're having Heart in the Parking Lot. We have a horse trough, I think it is, and we fill it full of water, and then you can come along and get baptized. You can be baptized by anybody you want to baptize you. You can be baptized in any form. Immersion, submersion, splashing, pouring, whatever you feel. I think immersion is the best way because it's most symbolic of being buried with Christ, but that's up to you. And we also give you the liberty of doing it in however way we want it. Like you can do it in the name of the Lord. You can do it in Jesus' name alone. You can do it in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is between you. If you want advice on that, talk to me. But if you don't and you have something you want to be done, you just tell us. And we do it. We do it every year. We also have a hot dog barbecue with baked beans and chips and refreshments, cookies, brownies, watermelon, stuff like that. That's this Sunday, 12 noon. There'll be no meat service this Sunday uh, because it will be supplanted by our heart in the parking lot, July 29th. That being said, I just want to share something with you before we roll the tape of the pre-recorded interview with Christy Johnson. One of the great wonders, the great questions that we have in this life is why God allows pain, why he allows evil, why bad things happen to good people, why some people seem to have a Jobian life where they go through one trial after another. And I don't, I'm not sure that that can be better evidence than in the story of Christy Johnson and her sisters and what they endured at the hands of their father. And many people on this earth go through similar things. Uh, but theirs is particularly heinous because of the re religious uh, ties and affectations to the whole deal. And it makes it so sordid. But in addition to that, I just got off the phone with Christy. If you see the documentary Glass Temples, and you should, when it becomes available, in that documentary, her youngest sister, Kathy, makes an appearance and uh, goes and confronts her dad for the molesting he's been doing with the daughters over all these years. Kathy then comes down in between the filming and today with stage four brain cancer. And just today, I talked to Christy and she said that she was called to her sister's house. She hasn't seen her in a, quite a while. And she has a daughter who is 18 and another child. And one child's seen her, the other one can't take it. Her husband is there with her. She's in the last stages of life of this brain cancer. The doctors say it's over. There's nothing more we can do. She's on hospice. She's on a morphine drip. And Christy said she's screaming in pain. Her head is enormous. Her body is paralyzed, but her head is alive and she's screaming in pain. That's where the cancer is. And um, I prayed with Christy 
that she that the Lord would be merciful and take her sister who's already gone through this unbelievable hell and these are things you have to face head-on as a Christian you can't just say well you know that's just you have to think about them and talk about them these things and how God is involved or how he's an absentee manager in them because of he can't intervene or how he heals or whatever it is the discussion should go on but I just want you to know as you watch this last segment with Christy Johnson that this is real life and that this woman who you're gonna watch who is so strong on tape is going through another trial of her life that's beyond compare and so is her youngest sister who was uh, also dealt the same deck from this father that uh, into the family that they were born into it blows my mind the longer I'm in ministry the stuff that happens and how does God fit in? I believe he does. But the question is how? To Christy Johnson, part three. Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host, and we're at part three with Christy Johnson. And it has been quite a ride and quite, uh, I mean, not quite. It's just a fascinating and sad and tragic but hopeful story in some senses as well. And uh, so I have thoroughly enjoyed these past few hours. We're going to wrap it up tonight with our final part, which uh, we have some deeper things perhaps to talk about, and we'll see how it unfolds. But we left off, I wrote some notes here. We left off talking about your dad had pinned uh, three letters to your sisters. Had your mom passed when he wrote those letters? So uh, go back and and your mom's passing, you uh, you were with her? Yeah, she she wasn't doing well, and so my uh, brother Kevin, Kim, and my sister Kathy, we all um, brought our mom home to her place. Cause in the hospital, we were told she didn't have much time, mm. and so it, we, it was kind of a hospice, and we knew she was going to die. We didn't know how quickly, and we took care of her around the clock. We each kind of took we our responsibility, what we did, and... Um, towards her very last days, you know, is when we had some deep conversations about the severity and and what she knew of more detail of our abuse Mm -hmm. and for how long, which was upsetting. And then I had prayed to God to have for strength Mm -hmm. to be able to look at her, you know, not, I, I tried to be literally, I tried to find what I could be grateful for because I didn't have the closest relationship with her, although I, I could understand her pain Mm -hmm. but I just um, I was filled with complete compassion all of us were as kids and to feel that united with your brothers and sisters and have this spiritual experience of seeing you know your mom pass and I remember just telling her thank you for carrying me for nine months Mm -hmm. you know and and then she passed away and then uh, we gave her a beautiful funeral Um, and in fact my mom was devoted to the church up to her death in fact she had a little suitcase of her temple clothing that she wanted to be buried in and so she had asked her best friend who was a member of the church to to dress her in those when she passed and on the day that was scheduled the lady couldn't do it at Mm. the last minute she had to go substitute for somebody and I'm thinking this is kind of a big deal that you do this Mm -hmm. and so my brother Kim and my brother Kevin and his wife Sharon and me and Kathy went into the morgue Mm. and they brought my mom's body out and we dressed her 
in her temple clothing, and we mm. did her hair and makeup, mm. and uh, and that we just felt very respect. I mean, it was this beautiful spiritual thing that we did for her, and I, I can't think of another way to show your parents, in spite of anything, how much you love, you know, for the sacrifices they did make, but for us to show her that kind of love and respect, I think showed a lot about our our siblings and our closeness. Yeah. She never remarried. No. No. My dad messed with her head yeah. the rest of her, and she was a good-looking woman. Mm. You know, she had her good days and bad days like we all do, but she never, I think she went on one date once. Mm. Did she remain in Southern California? She lived all over. She was in Washington. She actually served a mission. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's probably something you should know because that's important. Yeah. Yeah, wow. there's a part in there you should know about the annotation. That's kind of vital. Mm. My dad's annotation yeah. got removed. Yeah. My mom was waiting for her mission call, and it had been a while. And you usually get it in, what, three weeks or mm -hmm. something? Well, her bishop called her in, and he said, I got a call from the First Presidency, and they want to know, they want to remove, they're thinking of removing the tracking annotation off Kay's record. Mm. What do you think about that? They want to... And what that is, just to let you know, is there's membership records in the Mormon church that follow you wherever you go. And so when you move into a new ward, they bring it up. And the annotation she's talking about was it said on there, this guy's... Been the danger to children. Danger to children. Okay. Right. So anyway, the bishop's like, they want us, or they want you to write a letter telling the prophet what you think about them considering removing the annotation if you're for it. So my mom, of course, was like, no way, right? And her bishop, which happened to be an attorney, wrote a letter as well. And in that letter, he said, if he was in my ward, I would want to know that he had a problem if he's especially in my ward. So I'm asking you as a bishop, please do not remove that annotation from his record. And my mom pleaded with the church as well. Well, then they, they faxed it off to the attorney, it was an attorney's office for the first presidency. Wow. Now, here's the cool part about me, and I should be an investigator. My, I got the copies because her bishop gave her his letter that he faxed over mm. and my mom's letter. I got, I got them both. Mm. The fax number that they sent that to, those letters for the first presidency, mm -hmm. went to Curtin McConkie. Wow. It's the same fax number. If you look up the fax number on that letter mm. with the bishop's letterhead, mm -hmm. it's Curtin McConkie's fax number. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that is the law firm for the LDS Church. They're building high-rise tower for uh, that McConkie office is, is right across the street from church headquarters. Yeah, so all I'll say about that part is I thought it was the most oddest thing, and so did the bishop, that the church would have to have a legal team be involved in removing my dad's annotation. Why would the church involve an, a legal team mm. to remove it? Why? Mm. They can say who comes and goes, right? Yeah. But too. why do you need an attorney to do it? Mm. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. Uh, let's, let's cover Kevin, okay. oldest brother, the guy I knew, and uh, he helps bury mom. Yep. He blessed, he gave her the dedicatory prayer on her grave. He asked in that Lord. prayer that the family is unified, and it is. Right. 
Yeah. What happens with Kevin in in his stake? And what, what does he do with all this information? And what go down that trail with us. Sure. Kevin, um, throughout the years, was disgusted that my dad basically got away with what he did and never was arrested. Um, and he knew that my dad had really skipped out on all his, because he left our family with nothing. And so Kevin had to kind of step in as the father figure during that time. And so Kevin had written a letter to my dad and then said, you know, look, you need to be honest with what you did. I think you should reimburse me for all this money I spent taking care of, you know, your kids that you didn't raise and all this kind of stuff. And, and anyway, long story short, my dad takes that letter and he sends it to my brother's stake president, Bruce Miller. And Bruce Miller, my brother's stake president, calls him in. And he's like, oh, so I understand you wrote your dad a letter. And Kevin's like, well, yeah, you know, it's my dad. And he's like, yeah, well, you need to leave alone what your dad did. It's been handled. You need to leave that alone. And Kevin wouldn't. Kevin called the Lehigh Police Department a few times. Kevin wanted to go down there and meet with the stake president of Lehigh. He talked to the Huntington Beach North Stake where we had originally been in. He talked to his other leaders. He talked to whoever he can, kind of like my mom did. So Kevin was reaching out like, this guy's getting away with stuff. He's around children. You guys are not protecting kids. And the church um, got very angry with Kevin and at one time brought him in and released him from all of his callings because he wouldn't let it go. Wow. Kevin. Yeah. Kevin. So my, my dad's on the high council, yeah. but Kevin can't even be like, what, a Sunday school teacher? Wow. You know what I'm saying? So that bothered me. Yeah. You see how that works within uh, the Mormon church. Here in Lehigh, a man who's molested his, his own, not that it, it's, it's just his own daughters, his own three daughters, is back on the high council, and the faithful guy, and I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, this guy is faithful Mormon boy, and he gets kicked off all of his callings in the church because he simply wants to call his dad out and challenge him. And to protect children that are currently in Lehigh, Utah. As to bring the, full, the story full circle here between us, I was on the stake high council with Bruce Miller, the stake <laughs> president Bruce Miller, and I know what he was like as a stake president. And so this doesn't surprise me at all. This is all just white collar bureaucracy of a filthy underbellied religion that is seeking to protect itself. It's disgusting. What happens with Kevin now, you guys? Maybe you can tell us how the film starts to get involved and then what, what happens with Kevin's life. Well, Kevin had, well, Kevin had, we had planned on seeing my dad and then Kevin suddenly died. How, and, and, and that happened like five months before we were going to see my dad. Okay. So Kevin died in January unexpectedly. Um, that was horrendous on us kids. And then uh, in June, we went and saw my father anyway. And in the film, you see us holding Kevin's picture. Yeah because that was symbolic that Kevin was gonna be with us. With and we wanted our dad to see Kevin right there because Kevin was gonna be a part of that whole thing. Was that so picture brought him. into the living room of the film? I don't remember. Yeah, oh, we brought it, it with us oh, in okay. and we, we sat and held it while we talked to our dad. How old was your mom when she passed? 70 something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 70 so, something. So thus far what we're seeing from this is we have a we have a family that was dedicated to the Mormon church. We have one of the CES guys <clears throat> who's been protected 
by the Mormon Church. Finally, they came around and excommunicated him, finally. But he had done so much damage by that time. <clears throat> and we have a woman who gets divorced from him and lives her life in solitude. She dies in her 70s of what? Failed kid kidneys. Failed kidneys. We have a son. How old was Kevin when he passed? 55. 55 years old, has an infection or something in the hip. He dies within five days. Yep. So we're looking at the fallout and the cost of what this, what this institution exacts from you if you start to resist it. It is not, this isn't the only story. We've done dozens of stories and met dozens of people where this happens. It reeks of havoc in people's lives. So then let's talk about Corey. What's happened with her? Um, Corey, we don't have a lot of contact with. In fact, when we, when my brother died, we didn't know where she lived because she had lived on the streets. She had been in different places. We went to her last known address. We went door to door with her picture. Um, we finally were able to get a hold of somebody that knew her and were, and let them know, you know, let her know that Kevin had passed. Um, we tried to see Corey. Um, we know where she was staying at one point and knocked on the doors and she wouldn't open the door. And so we just basically told her through the door how much we loved her and wanted to see her and be a part of her life and would do anything. Mm -hmm. And we've not had any contact from her. Mm -hmm. So we really don't know where she's at, but she's had no contact with us at all. Uh, and that was after the film was d done? Yeah, shot. during and after. During we and just after. don't have contact with her at all. Mm -hmm. Corey, when you see in the film, there's a difference. You can see She's more tatted up. You can see that she's... No, Kathy. Oh, wasn't... You're Cor asking about Corey, the middle girl who had the baby? That's who Corey is. I'm asking about she Corey She was a was part the of the film. Oh. Kathy... Oh, was it Kathy was in the Kathy's film? Kathy's in the film. Okay, okay, sorry. Corey, we don't know about. Right. Kathy... Was in the film. Was in the film. And, and, and what's happening with Kathy now? Well, Kathy um, was diagnosed, as it says in the film, with... Uh, terminal brain cancer about a year after Kevin died or somewhere around there um, and so she's she wasn't supposed to live uh, past summer last summer and um, so she's just with her family right now so she's not doing well so we have Kathy who terminal brain cancer inoperable inoperable it's completely full She's we have Corey, who is who knows where. We have um, Kevin, who has passed prematurely from a very strange disease. And uh, how about uh, Kim? How's he doing? Kim's I think right he's there. doing pretty good. And I have one more brother, Kyle. Oh, and we'll talk about Kyle. We don't. We Kyle. We saw him at Kevin's funeral, but he's chose to kind of stay out of our lives, um, and he's. He's actually stayed in contact with my father, mm. and he's very LDS mm. with his family. And, you know, at first I was very angry about that, mm. you know, but I believe, um, and I talked to Kim in length about it because I was very angry with Kyle um, for seeing my dad and not coming to my mom's funeral and, you know, not supporting us or being a part of us. But, you know, Kyle has his own burdens to carry. Sure and we don't know his heart and what he's been through. Mm -hmm. So Kim taught me that we should let him be. Mm -hmm. And in his due time, if he chooses, mm -hmm. we have open arms.
but we have nothing but love for him. And uh, Kim, he has his wife, he has his two children who are here. It's a beautiful family. <clears throat> They're doing well. So we can see what I see as one guy is faithful CES guy who is now back in the church. Everybody else who questions it and everything else has been just kind of been set aside, so to speak, because the church is preeminent. Right. <clears throat> How about you? How are you as doing? As far as religion and about stuff? Not yet. Your oh, okay. life. My life? How um, has it gone since the mission return and this whole thing? What has happened with you? And what do you attribute to uh, this, these things that have occurred to you? Well, I've had kind of ups and downs, <clears throat> as any survivor would. You know, I've had some great jobs um, where I've excelled and done really well. And then I'll have times where I, mean, I go through a lot of depression. Um, I kind of addressed that a little bit in the... Um, I think yesterday or at some point when I was interviewing with somebody, just that I have felt the darkest depression where there's that, that moment, that, those heavy duty moments where you want to give in to the darkness and it's very real and it can take control. And I've literally had to teach myself when that hits to call somebody, to do something, to get up and walk around because the moment will pass. Because so many people give in to that, and I know what that feels like, and it is ugly, and it's dark. And so um, I've had to face that. Um, currently, I've been on a stress leave from work because it's taken a toll on me mentally and emotionally. Even though it's a good thing what we're doing, it's still heavy, you know, to relive it all, to tell an attorney, uh, you know, do a timeline of events. You know, I'm writing a book about my life. So it, it takes a toll on you. But overall, um, you know, I've dated different guys. I've, I've been married a couple times to some real winners. Um, just, you know, I didn't choose well. And it's all due to literally, you know, being in survival mode. And you make weird decisions. You know, you really do. Sure. And it's like somebody else is in control of your life and you think you're in control. And you're like, wow, how come I didn't see that? Wow, how come that didn't, like, that wasn't a red flag in the beginning, you know? And so, you know, I, I get emotional too sometimes and I've had to really teach myself, like, you know, we don't blow up at people, at, you know, if they don't understand something. And my journey's been really long and I'm still learning. Um, and I've had to overcome a lot of judgment that I had on people. It's amazing when you come out of the Mormon church how judgmental you are, and there, and it stays with you. And there's this almost better than thou. And you don't think that you're acting that way, but your thoughts are like that. And you may not utter them, but you think them. And so when we do talk about when I really had an experience with God, it's very interesting how God um, created my experience, and he did it on purpose. What I know of God, he did that on purpose. Of course, can't wait to Coming out of the Mormon that. church, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you've had a couple husbands, you have a son. Uh-huh. He's, he's on your arm, Brock. Yeah. That's probably been a joy and a trial. Yes. As children are. Yeah. Has, has what's happened in your life uh, been a detriment to your relationship with him? Um, I think it's affected <clears throat> his life um, in the way that I parented him. Mm. 
What I did is I raised him exactly opposite of how I was raised. But what happened with that was I didn't do boundaries, you know. And so you have a mother-son relationship and you feel bad for them when they should man up, you know. And so I basically raised him on my own, you know. I still had these little marriages in between that didn't work out, so there wasn't enough time for anybody to really get involved in his life. So I see myself as just had been a single mom. And so I made a lot of mistakes, you know, and I've talked to him about those. You know, he has children of his own now. And he said, you know, Mom, I do a lot of the really good things that you did. And he said, um, he said, remember all that time you would spend with me? Because I devoted so much of my time to him because I didn't get that, you know. But I, I did spend a lot of time with him and I talked to him about his feelings. And, you know, he's probably the most understanding guy, you know, because women are just like, wow, this guy is not only handsome, he's very understanding, you know, but he missed out on a lot. And, I, and he didn't get to have a good dad be in his life. And, um, but I think overall, he, he turned out to be, he's got a good heart and he has a lot of growth to go. You know, he has, sure. we all do. Um, and you know, we all have problems. We've done things we're not proud of. And I just, you know, in the end of the day, we always, you know, if we have an argument or disagree, we always, before we go to bed, he'll call me if we've argued or something. And just, I just want you to know, I love you, mom. I'm sorry. You know? And so I, I, to me, that's progress. I mean, that's success to me. Absolutely. I don't think it's like, did he graduate high school? Did he do this? Did, I look at it. Did I raise somebody who's got a conscience mm. and would help anybody in this world? And I've seen him give to homeless people. I've seen him made meals with his little son and go down to the park and hand out sandwiches and chips and take his little money and just, you know, he just always is helping people. And I thought, I did okay. Sounds like a wonderful... I'd like to take some credit for that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's really wonderful. Um, in, the, in the movie, uh, there's a few highlights in my mind to things that came up, besides the story that was going on. One of the highlights was when you, when you hugged your dad. Uh, another highlight was when um, Kim uh, called the police. Mm -hmm. I thought that was... Uh, another another highlight, which is kind of a low light, was the quote from Richard G. Scott from General Conference. Can you paraphrase it? Yeah, basically, uh, he says that you know um, when you're abused. How do you say it? He said when you're abused, most of the times you're not at fault because you're overwhelmed with fear by the, because this person's in a powerful position. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the Lord will prompt you of a certain responsibility that you have in that abuse mm. that you need to repent of mm. and that you have some accountability in it. Mm. And that was shocking to me. Shocking. But I'll tell you, I did have a regional rep when I reached out when my family wasn't getting the help that they needed. Mm -hmm. I, I know who to call. So I called the regional rep and I was going to call him out and be like, you need to tell this bishop to help my brother and my family to get food and da 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 And he was kind and lovely. Mm -hmm. And so before I left the building, he goes, I, I, can I just ask you one thing? And I said, sure. And he goes, could I ask you uh, why you never felt the need to confess what you were doing with your dad <gasps> before you went on your mission? That's exactly what I did, but I think I 
looked worse. I was like, yeah, I was like, like my niece, taking off my earrings, the yeah. heels. Like, I was like, what the hell did yeah. you just say? Yeah. Confess yeah. to what I did with my dad? Yeah. I was in such shock, and I think he realized, oh, no, that girl is lit up, you know, and so he took off. You know, but I thought, wow, you had me, this great priesthood guy to the very end. And then when he said that, that was the first time in my life that I realized, wait a second, they're thinking I had something to do with that? Because uh, I never looked at myself like I was to blame. Yeah. Never. Yeah. You know, How I could never you be to blame? I know, but they thought I needed, like, I needed to confess. I don't care if you went on to try to seduce your father your father is your dad i know yeah. how could you ever be to blame but how shocking is that so when i heard richard g scott oh. i was like wow they really do believe it it wasn't that a weirdo rep yeah. it was like literally church you know what they teach from general conferences it's, church doctrine it's unbelievable yeah so that was shocking and it's offensive and it's detrimental to victims yeah, and, and because they are all complete 100% victims. All. Mm -hmm. oh. uh, the question, did your dad get sealed to his new wife? Yes. Is he still sealed to your mom or did they? No. My mom called the prophet. My mom was always. A prophet calling over My mom night. had an inside guy inside the prophet's office. Wow. Yeah. Um, who was very helpful to my mom mm. and was, he, he felt bad mm. for our family. And so if my mom wrote a letter, he made sure it got on the prophet's desk. Wow. So that's how we heard a, a few things from him, mm. the president. But um, what was the first part? My just, my mom. Did they? The oh, did the ceiling. My mom demanded a, when she got divorced from him, that it be canceled. Mm. And since my dad had already remarried mm -hmm. before the letter came back to her, they said usually, uh, or no, he hadn't remarried. But be he, the prophet said, due to the circumstances, we're going to grant you a cancel cancellation on your ceiling. Mm. Wow. And for you guys at home who don't know, some, that, that doesn't always happen. So what could have happened is her dad uh, and mom could have divorced, but he would have remained sealed to her for time and all eternity. He could have come here to Lehigh, married the new bride, sealed to her, and then at death, it is believed by the LDS that the two women would be his. So no wonder there's such sexual twistedness in this uh, religion. Um, <clears throat> the phone call that you must have recorded. Uh, well, through the years, I had kept in contact with my dad because I was trying to keep an eye on him. Mm -hmm. I was a detective uh, in my mind. And so I was always trying to get information. And so one of the times I called him, I called him and said, you know, look, uh, you know, when we heard you were getting rebaptized, mom's freaking out. Mm -hmm. Everybody's freaking out. Like, how can they rebaptize this guy? Mm -hmm. And my dad was like, oh, well, you know, the church can only do so much. And, you know, and I was like, well, how could they rebaptize you? They never even talked to your victims. So how did they know you've repented? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, they don't need to talk to you. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, and I, and I go, well, shouldn't they ask me? You know, do I think he's repented? Mm -hmm. And he, oh, it's not necessary. If you do what the church asks you to do, you know, well, what did they ask you to do, Dad, to prove so that you could be rebaptized? Well, they asked me, do you pay your child support? Do you go to church? Uh, do you pray? Have you done everything in your life to become a better person? Um, that's what they want to see. 
And then he said, oh, he said something about, oh, he said to me, um, Chrissy, do you know what I had? Oh, sis. Sis. Why does my dad call me sis? You got to hear this phone call. It is like, it is unbelievably disturbing. So, yeah, I'm trying to ask him. I, I'm like, dad, so I ask him something. He goes, you know, for anybody to think I've had it easy, you know, do you know what happened to me? Do you know what I, you know what I lost? And, I, and so he's like, I lost my family, my job, my church. And I go, well, I lost. And he cuts me off. Yeah. And then he starts talking about how he suffered. And then he goes, you know what I had, what happened to me? Yeah. You know, I fasted yeah. every Saturday and Sunday for years. And I lost 40 pounds. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, was that to be forgiven? Like, what are we, you know, what's the it's, point? It's you really fasted. Twisted. And then he talks about going to, that he's too ashamed to go to church, so he takes the van and he parks behind a school <laughs> did, and prays all day. That did not play well with the audience. We were talking last night, and I go, I, I think they misspelled the word pray. Yeah. It should have said P-R-E-Y yeah. behind a school. Yeah, wow. Who parks a van behind a school to repent? Right. A school? Yeah. You can't find the beach? Yeah, yeah. A school. It, it, you got to watch the movie just for the call. And you're engaging with him. You're his daughter. And you're and I, I can still, though, I listen, I can hear you trying to still be something to him. I did. I Because there was that. And I think that was part of the thing with my dad. Because I always, in a weird, and I've tried to work this out through therapy. Um, because I have this anger. And I have, like I had with my mom. And I also have this tremendous amount of weird kind of love and respect for him being my father. And so I don't know what it is with me. And I, I well, I, I know it has to do with God. And not everybody's at, a, at certain points in their life. And I really do appreciate everybody's journeys and how they choose to worship God. I, I really respect that. But for me, when it came to my dad at the end, you know, even when we said goodbye to him, um, well, the, the police were called. Part of that was my dad wanted to confess. You know, now, sure, because the statutes of limitations are over. So, you know, we're, so Kim's like, okay, well, go ahead and call him. You know, if you want to make a And my dad's like, oh, well, can you call him for me? And so Kim's like, sure. So he, my dad wanted him to call him, so that was part of the film. And then when the police get there, you know, they take reports, and my dad's like, telling them, you know, I molested my daughters, but it was only at night, and it was only my daughters. And the oh. cops are like this. Oh, yeah. Like, you should see their faces. Like, I, I'm like, did you film that? Because that would have been great. Yeah. You know, but they're just like, you know, and I've heard that before, you know, only at night. And, <laughs> you know, so I, you know, sis. And um, so, yeah, that was weird. But I remember the cops, uh, they pulled me out on the front porch and they said, you know, we can't arrest them. Mm. And I go, I know, you know, it's stupid. I, I know, statute of limitations. He goes, so what's going to happen now? You know, um, is he going to be okay? Do you think he's going to hurt himself? Or, and I go, oh, no, <laughs> he hasn't hurt himself. Um, he goes, are you going to be okay? Are you going to go hurt him? And I said, no, I would have hurt him already. I mean, I'm not here for that. And he said, well, what's going to happen? I mean, can we leave? And I said, yeah. I said, what's going to happen is I'm going to go in that house and I'm going to hug my father for the last time in my life mm -hmm. and in his life. Mm 
that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay. So they left. And I went back in and I, me and Kim and Kathy just, I went over and I hugged my father and I said, dad, I, I love you. And um, Kim saw me do that and Kim went over and said the same thing. And Kathy did because we had decided um, when my mom died, you have a choice to make. And when those vital moments in your life come, you have a decision to make. Do you take the higher law of love or do you end it with a bad, something bad? We chose when my mom died, we had every reason to hate her for what we had gone through. And God bless her because she had been through a lot. But we chose to give her a beautiful burial and death. I mean, her death was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And even dressing her body for her and showing that respect and love. And when my father, when we were saying goodbye, we knew that would be the last time. And so we all decided that it was better in that moment to end with high love because that's what God would want. Because our last memories is us showing mercy to somebody who didn't deserve it. So what's he gonna do with that? You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Okay. And it's, uh, that's what's called in the highest form Christianity. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And that's why you're backed by the love sign. You, you exhibited that <laughs> completely in your, uh, in your way. I have to admit that I felt sorry for your dad in the film. Yeah. You can't help but feel sorry for him. I went back in my mind and said, wait, when I knew uh, Christy, he was still hurting her. Oh, that, you know, that, that effort. And then, but I would watch him and I, my heart would soften. I said, now he's, now he's going to face his maker, mm-hmm. you know? And then I watched you guys. I mean, you showed him respect. And how do you, how does that come about? People always as a pastor, they want to know, how do I get this in my heart to be this way toward people who have harmed me? And usually they're talking about someone who, you know, took the biggest piece of meatloaf at the family dinner, not someone who molested them. How do you, what was it, Christy, that got you to the point where you could say, I'm going to forgive my dad, I'm going to love my dad, and um, I'm going to show him respect. You showed him respect in this movie after all you've been through. How? I think it has to do personally with your relationship with God. Um, I know that God is real. I know that for a fact. Um, My experience with him um, is that at at one point in my life, he made him, God revealed himself in a very big way where I was saved basically and overcome in, in the spirit and uh, had the most beautiful peace from everything that I had experienced in my life. And I literally felt like I was in God's presence and knew that he was very much real. And to me, in the end, and when you're at the most critical times of your life, when it comes down to it, you, you really do have a decision to make. 
And we're all going to meet our maker one day. And we all make mistakes, and we are all sinners. And I do believe that sinners and people all deserve to fill God. And I, you know, whether my dad repents in this life or the next life, I don't know what's going to happen with him. But the one thing that I that bothers me about the, the Mormon church is they also don't allow someone to truly repent. When you cover up a pedophile and you don't let them be handled by the law and face, literally face what they've done, then they don't come to terms with it. So they don't get to feel that darkness and that yucky and like, oh my God, what did I do? Because once you feel that, you're hollow and you have nowhere to turn but God. And in God's due time, he reaches into you and you're so hollow and dark that when he reaches in and shows you that beautiful, peace, peaceful love that only he can provide and there's no way you can deny it, Everyone's entitled to that. So when you deny somebody that repentance process, you, you know what I mean by covering up? You deny them that, and that's wrong too. That's sinister. It is. But I have felt God's love, and I know what it's like to repent, and I know what it's like to feel him. And I think in the end, when you make a decision, the best way to end your last moment with somebody is to always end on the higher ground. Because what if they change down the road. What if my dad all of a sudden found Jesus or God and has this miraculous healing? I may never see him again, and I really don't wish to. But in my heart, I ended it with love. And when I face my maker, I'll be able to say, I showed love because that's what you're all about in spite of what was done. Have you forgiven him? My dad? I think I have. I think I really have. I don't... I don't really, I don't wish him harm. I mean, we did this lawsuit. The, the whole thing about what I'm doing now is to bring this change in the church. And I really want victims to know you are not alone and you are very loved. And there is some people behind you that can help you. Let us be your voice. Join us. You know, get the heck out of Dodge, you know, and let's get some help. And let's hold these people accountable because the church is doing a disservice not only to the perps, but mostly to the victims and to the church in general. What do you want to see administratively in policy practice for the church to do specifically? Specifically, I want the church to remove the whole report to your bishop. I think that if you see a crime, if you're a victim of a crime, if you see anything happening, if you know of sexual abuse, assault, any kind of crime, you should go directly to the police. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that game of Monopoly, you pass go, you do that. Just literally don't involve the church at all. Mm -hmm. If I was an LDS and I was raised in another religion, mm -hmm. I never would have gone like, oh, let's go find my Protestant pastor so I can tell him what dad that's right. molesting me. No, you go to the cops. Yeah. You know, the church needs to teach from the pulpit, go to the police. Mm -hmm. The church, the, the leaders are not equipped, they're men. Just like they're dentists, they're, you know, garbage truck, hole, you know, they're, they're everybody. They're just no, normal people. You can be inspired and love, but they, their hands are full. Why require that of them? Stop. Let the, let law enforcement, let them do their job and let them 
be prosecuted or not prosecuted, but get them reported and let them handle it. Mm -hmm. That's what they've been trained to do. Yeah. So just don't involve the church at all. So the, um, you know Sam Young's movement? Yes. We had Sam on the show. And um, his is, you know, stop the interviews of kids about their sexuality and one-on-one in, in -on -one interviews, uh, stop yeah. that. And, uh, and so really what his movement and what you're uh, doing is you guys are saying the priesthood has no business in these things. Right. So let's stop this game straight up and let's just deal with these things and forget about protecting the church and forget about all that stuff. Yeah, because uh, that's your main focus in life is protecting the, the whole institution. Yeah. I mean, if you're about church, go to church, worship, sing the songs, teach what you're gonna believe in, mm -hmm. enjoy your, you know, I believe that God's spirit can be felt in the Mormon church. I think people have spiritual experiences in the Catholic church. I think God reaches people wherever they are at. Mm -hmm. And in one way or another, you're gonna end up with him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He doesn't say, oh, she's a Catholic, I can't talk to her. Mm -hmm. No, he sees us as his children. Mm -hmm. You know, he'll pull you out of anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And so people get confused by that as a Mormon. Well, I had this a spiritual experience. Well, of course you did, because it was probably God. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean the building you're sitting in is God's building, right, right. or that the man preaching up there is his servant. Right. It means that the Spirit of God is touching your heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. People confuse that. So, um, so in presently, in your walk, you consider yourself a Christian. Yeah. How would you respond to this? It's a tough question. Okay. How could you believe in a God who you're actually even praying to him and asking him to save you or do something, and all the while he's allowing you to be molested by your own father? I mean, what kind of God is that? Is, is he just a loser? Can he, can, I mean, what's the deal? How do you believe in a being like that? How would you respond to that, Christy? Well, I think for me, I, first of all, I would say I don't have all the answers, you know, obviously. I can't explain why bad things happen to good people, you know? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, all I do is go off my personal experience knowing that God is very much aware of me. And if you look for the signs and you look for the experiences in your life and you keep reminding yourself that he's real and he's very much aware, you're gonna find him there. And he will be with you in the darkness. Why he didn't stop my dad from what he was doing, I have no idea. But what I gained from my experience of being molested and going through beatings and all that is what I took from it instead of becoming bitter and trying to cover it up with drugs and all that mm -hmm. is I decided to how do I say it oh, it's so hard to put into words I learned empathy for people because if you don't give in to the dark crap because it's there and you have every right to be pissed and angry and think God doesn't exist mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if you think he doesn't exist or he doesn't you mm -hmm. can say and try to prove well he lets bad things happen 
I don't know why. But I do know that if you don't become bitter, that you will become such a better person and that your empathy for other people, if you see somebody on the street, I can recognize almost a survivor or a victim mm. like that. Mm. I am very in tune if somebody needs a hug mm. or if somebody needs to be talked to mm. or just be like, hey, how you doing, what's up? You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you can feel it. Mm. And that's my gift that I got from surviving that because there's always a gift in the end. And I don't know why it was allowed to happen, but I know that there's gifts that come with the Spirit. And I'm grateful for those. And I am closer to God now than I have ever been in my life. But I can tell everybody that He's very real. And He will, he will appear to you, not like Joseph Smith, but He will appear to you in a way that fills up your heart and soul with this overwhelming love and peace that you can't even describe. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Okay, so no matter what you've been through, mm -hmm. I truly, with all my soul, that's how I can do what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, mm -hmm. I'm with God, right? Yeah. Thoughts on hell? I think hell's like a metaphor to me. I don't think that there's a real hell where people are gonna gnash their tape, you know. I think people, um, I think when you die, just my personal belief, I think let's say you're a bad guy and you die and you've done a lot of bad things. I think that there is probably gonna be a little bit of um, like a, a review of your life. I think you'll take on for however long the feelings that maybe you caused others, what it felt like. Like my dad, let's say, doesn't repent. I think maybe when he dies, he might become me as the victim and know what I felt like when he was hurting me. Mm so that he has a full understanding of the damage that he did, mm. even though he didn't win, right? Because right. I'm with God, so he didn't win, but he still needs to know, mm. because at some point he's gonna have to face that. Everybody has to face it. Mm. So you can die and not repent, but you're still gonna have to face it. But I don't think that that is long lasting. I don't think it's this everlasting hell. I think it's to the point where, do you get it? Do you know what you did? you know, and fill the yuck. Mm -hmm. And then I think God will then step in and bring you into his presence and then you will be with him. Mm -hmm. Because I think in the end, God is love mm -hmm. and he wants his children back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's just my personal. And it's mine as well. Is it? Absolutely. Oh, well. Absolutely. Knock it out right there. We're right. both from OC, you know. They were, from... we're both tatted. We should have dated. Both I'm just saying. OC people. No. Um, <laughs> Could you say, as we're going to wrap this up, okay. could you say that as a result, or not as a result, but because of this horrible thing that you've gone through and your sisters have gone through, your family's gone through, that you have learned to love better? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've learned to love more real. Because you can say you love people. Oh, hey, I care about mm -hmm. you, you know, you know. And there's that surface stuff. But when I tell people I love them and, and you really care about people, you see them completely different. Mm -hmm. You start seeing people as children of God. Mm -hmm. And so if I see a guy like, you know, I was on a date once and this guy like didn't open my doors and mm -hmm. didn't do that. And I was like, oh yeah, he's off the list, like mm -hmm. automatically. And then I thought, what if somebody judged my son like that, that he was going out with? Maybe he was too nervous to open the door. Mm -hmm. So it's made me less you know, judgmental and just be like, Christy, 
chill. Mm -hmm. What's important in life? Mm -hmm. You know? And so that's when I deal with people and I see with people and I, you know, it's not that I don't get mad sometimes or anything because we all, we're human. Mm -hmm. But I truly just see people and just look at them as if I'm looking through God's eyes. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, we're all going to return to him anyway mm -hmm. at some point, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And I believe that with all my heart. Your assessment of the Mormon church, the institution, not the people, the institution. I, I, I think it has some issues. I, I really do. I think it's become way too big. Mm -hmm. A corporation that's, you know, has works that are good. Mm -hmm. And when you get into works, it's all about how you're perceived. Mm -hmm. And that's a dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you use that as an excuse for, oh, well, I've done this and I've done that. People do that in their own lives. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I did this. And you're like, well, who cares? Did you help the homeless guy over around the corner um, that nobody knows about? You know what I mean? Um, I think they're, you know, I, I, res I respect their, their right to believe and do what they want to do. And that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But as an institution, I think they're pretty messed up. It's a really good insight with the good works deal because they are so much about that. That it almost, looking back at your situation, it almost is, at least in this state, there are people who think, I've done my home teaching, I've gone to the temple, I've paid my tithing, I can molest my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about the works. Like, yeah. did this equal out to this? Yeah, I'm going to be okay. And it's like, it's got nothing to do yeah. with, works have nothing to do with it. No. God knows your heart, God. and if this is good, you're pretty good at this. Uh, oh, I know. You know the man. I don't know. You? I do know him very personally. When you know the man, you can talk this way. Yeah. I mean, you really can. Yeah, because I would rather don't. be the person behind the scenes that sees the little kid that needs help, or sees somebody, and you just kind of casually go over there and give him a wad of cash, or mm -hmm. you're just like, "Hey, you are loved," mm -hmm. and then walk away. Mm -hmm. Nobody needs to see that. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that for God to give me some little, oh, yeah. she gave some money. There we go. She's got, bring her on in. Mm -hmm. Nothing like that. Final thought for anybody who has gone through uh, any experience similar to yours. Uh, in addition, a thought for people who are hopeless. People who have not discovered what you have discovered in God. Final thought to them. What would you say? I would say, do not give in to the darkness. It comes to everybody. Some people worse than others, especially when you are a victim. It will pass. It's a temporary feeling. But if you are stuck there, you need to reach out to somebody and there are hotlines that where somebody can talk to you within a second. Um, life is worth living, no matter what you're going through. Life is a gift. Um, and what was the last part you asked me? Just thoughts about God if you're hopeless and you're, you've resisted. Yeah, if you don't resist God, and, and if I'm, I'm telling people to truly seek Him. I mean, there were times when I was so upset that all I could utter, and there's that song called I Love the Lord because He Heard My Groans. There were times that I couldn't speak because I was so overcome with anguish and anger and pain that all I could do was muster a groan, like, oh, just like in a prayer like that. And that song resonated with me because it says, he hears your groans. 
And I'm like, he's there. You think he's not there. But if you sit back and ask him to reveal himself, he will reveal himself. Amen. And you'll be very shocked at how he reveals himself. Amen. Uh, some of the best three hours I've spent in, do, in talking to people for a long, long time. So, honestly, some of the best three hours I've ever spent. Thank you. Uh, you, were, uh, you are authentic and you are honest and you've gone through hell and yet you're shining a light uh, to people in that uh, you're a Christian of Christians in my estimation which doesn't matter at all but in my 